Hey folks, Ryan Kennedy here. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are going to be discussing the carnivore diets, which has gained a ton of popularity the last few years. And I brought on Scott Mylinski to jam on this topic since he's super well-versed in this way of eating. And I'll also be sharing my perspective on it and what I've seen in my practice. Scott is the host of the Carnivore Cast, a podcast all about the ketogenic and carnivore lifestyles without dogma or rules. And this dude interviews experts and researchers and really has brought on a lot of uh, people in the space. And so I thought he was the perfect person to bring on to talk about the carnivore diet because I get a ton of questions on this way of eating and I haven't had a show dedicated to it up until now. Um, And he's also had success alleviating chronic condition, utilizing this carnivore diet. Uh, And his podcast is, you know, he's got over 200 episodes, over 2 million downloads. So he's uh, he's not new to the space. He's definitely knows his shit. So Scott, welcome to the show, man. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. It's an honor to be here. I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you today. Fill me in on your background. Yeah. You know, see you, you know, conquered a few things as far as your own health journey and would love to hear how you got introduced to the style of eating and then how it's impacted your life. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I was a competitive lightweight rower, um, in high school and college, um, so I did that for about eight years. Um, I was recruited to row. I rode um, and I suffered from some pretty debilitating back injuries, as many rowers do. <laughs> um, and I think kind of comes with any endurance sport after long enough. Um, and so I and, and rowing also lightweight rowing. It's it's a weight category sport. So you've probably heard or maybe your audience has heard stories, horror stories about wrestlers or fighters um, doing crazy things to make weight. Well, rowing is all of those things and sometimes worse because it's even less regulated. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, cutting and gaining 20, sometimes 30 pounds in a single week. Um, a lot of that's water, obviously, but a lot of unhealthy habits come from that, along with just taking a really bad physical toll on my body doing that much um, rowing for that long. And so you know, in college, I needed to take a leave, um, basically every day, um, which is an NSAID, um, not any higher than, than the normal amount, but you're not supposed to take it chronically. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did, and I think that really, um, had some negative impacts on my digestion as well as my hormones. Um, and so coming out of school, um, I wasn't rowing anymore. I was working 90 to hundred hours a week, um, in management consulting, and so I, I was trying to find a diet that could keep me healthy and keep me um, from gaining too much fat uh, in the first couple of years of my career. And around that time, keto and carnivore weren't really a thing yet, um, but Mark Sisson and the primal um, lifestyle um, was very popular. Mm-hmm. And so I followed something close to that. Um, and then also around that time, an individual named Sam Feltham, um, who's from the U- United Kingdom, and he runs the public health collaboration over there, along with some doctors like Zoe Harcum. And um, what they're focused on is uh, bringing more evidence and research to the dietary guidelines in the UK. So similar to Nina Teicholtz and the Nutrition Coalition here in the US. And he had a podcast before podcasts were really a thing either um, called Smash the Fat. And he had a lot of doctors and researchers on there, and he was essentially advocating um, 
like a keto diet, but without any restriction on protein. So eating a lot of animal foods, um, not worrying about limiting your fat intake, but not trying to hit a certain fat macro ratio like keto dieters sometimes do. Um, and uh, having some leafy green vegetables, some nuts. Um, and so I followed something similar to that for a while. Intermittent fasting was also very popular back then. Um, and, and my, my results improved gradually with those diets. Um, but around 2016 is when I first heard about the carnivore diet, uh, an, an individual named Amber O'Hearn, um, who's very popular researcher and writer in the carnivore space. She's been following a carnivore diet for decades now, over a decade. And, um, she had a podcast on two keto dudes podcast, um, and she was talking about how a lot of the same epidemiological research that vilified saturated fats, meat, cholesterol, eggs, research that really focuses on populations of people and asks them, you know, how do you eat? And then tries to draw correlations from that, which is um, crowded with bias, help, what's called healthy user bias, because the people who eat more vegetables tend to be the people who visit the doctor more, wear seatbelts, exercise, don't smoke, don't drink. Yeah. And so there's a lot of bias in that research. And that research, not only did it vilify saturated fat and cholesterol, it's a lot of the same research that also promotes um, high vegetable intakes and vegetables being healthy for you. And I thought that was really interesting. And then she went on to talk about how plants also can have negative um, impacts on your health. Um, and she talked about phytotoxins. Some people hear the word phytonutrients um, but that's really a euphemism for phytotoxins. She talked about how plants um, evolved to have some defense mechanisms through things like oxalates and phylates um, that uh, can can cause a lot of problems in people. And I said, yeah, that seems really interesting. You know, I'm already eating this meat-heavy keto diet. Um, why don't I try this out? Mm -hmm. um, why don't I try just eating as much meat as I want <laughs> and seeing how that affects my health? You know, I dropped the avocado and the nuts and the little bit of plant foods that I was eating. Um, and it was around the same time, actually, that Sean Baker was first experimenting with the carnivore diet. He's a popular doctor um, in, in the carnivore space. He's been on Joe Rogan. And he um, he was doing his experiments on Twitter at the time. And so I, I tried it out for myself. Um, and I'd say when I first started it, I had... I followed what was probably a poorly formed carnivore diet. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, and there are a lot of great resources out now, podcasts, books, um, YouTube videos about how to formulate a carnivore diet and do it properly. And those didn't really exist back then, or at least I couldn't find them um, because the carnivore diet was not as mainstream as it is now. But I still had great results despite making a lot of mistakes my sleep improved, my digestion improved, my body composition improved, my energy improved tremendously. Um, and over the years from, you know, 2016 to 2019, when I followed carnivore diet very strictly, um, I learned a lot more about how to, how to execute the diet properly, the importance of organ meats, meal timings, all these things that, that really helped me um, to get better and better results. And I also started the podcast in the middle of that journey in 2018, um, just over four years ago. And so uh, that's been fantastic. It's been a great way to learn, engage with the community, um, connect, give back in a way. 
um, and it's been just a labor of love for me. Um, I actually don't follow a strict carnivore diet anymore. Um, and we can talk about why and kind of what I do now, but I'll, I'll pause there because I'm getting long winded at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fascinating. And uh, I stumbled across a lot of these same concepts around the same time, like around 2017, 2018, where, uh, you know, I was always taught in post-grad school, you know, plant foods are the holy grail of health, these dark leafy greens and all these vegetables. And you should have a wide variety of, of colors in your diets and eat these big yeah. ass salads and all this stuff that we're taught you know, yeah. even in mainstream advice, even as of today. And what I found myself, Scott, was I was just like, man, when I have these big ass salads for lunch, I feel kind of bloated and gassy, like in the yeah. latter part of the afternoon, I was like putting, you know, protein on those. And I was like, I wonder if I just simplify, you know, instead of having like five or six handfuls of these, you know, leafy greens, like spinach and kale and chard and all this crap. Yeah, I just don't do that. And I found for myself, just personally, first time, I was like, man, I feel way better when I just have the protein and maybe some cucumbers or something along those lines, rather than like tomatoes and bell peppers and onions and all this yeah. stuff, just like throwing everything in the kitchen sink type of mentality with vegetables. And then I started experimenting in my practice with people and, you know, started learning about some of these plant chemical defense systems like lectins and oxalates and all these different things that, you know, guys like Stephen Gundry started writing about and you started to hear more people coming into the space like Paul Saladino and started just raising some eyebrows like, man, this kind of makes sense when you look back like evolutionarily that we don't have access to just like all these different plant foods you see at the grocery store all year round and that maybe humans did rely more on animal foods and how that really kind of makes sense and so I've never been one to kind of be super over the top strict of like eliminating these things ruthlessly but I have seen uh, with certain patients I work with the carnivore diet be very therapeutic in that by eliminating these plant foods it's like the ultimate elimination diet and it gives you a good reset and helps you further define, like kind of refine what foods are serving you versus not by just having a baseline and then slowly reintegrating certain certain plant foods back into this. But I am curious to hear what your experiments showed and why you decided that, you know, following kind of a strict all meat diet wasn't uh, the best move and where, where you landed at as of today. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with kind of your summary there, Ryan. I think the carnivore diet can be an excellent tool. Um, mm -hmm. And it is really a, a very strong elimination diet. I think it also works. Um, what I think folks like Sean Baker and, and others are doing um, that's really awesome is the carnivore diet is gimmicky. Sure. The carnivore diet isn't magic. The carnivore diet is an easy way for people to understand a way to eliminate processed foods, mm -hmm. eliminate foods that may they may have personal problems with like FODMAPs. Sure. And also automatically get a really awesome source of protein, high protein every day. Um, and like the more people can do that, I think the healthier people will get in general. So I think that's one reason it works so well. Yeah. Um, but of course you can get more nuanced. Um, and so what, what happened for me, and I still think the carnivore diet is awesome for many people. And I think a lot of people even will thrive doing a strict carnivore diet forever. Um, especially people with certain autoimmune conditions. But for me, um, I was having trouble maintaining my weight on a carnivore diet. Um, I had issues digesting large amounts of fat. So for me to maintain my weight, I needed about 4,000 calories a day um, just to hold steady. And um, I, I, I realized over you know years of tracking that um, 
I couldn't really tolerate more than 150 grams of fat in a, in a day. Um, I would go to a higher fat and I would be able to tolerate it for like a week or two. And then inevitably I would start getting these symptoms where at night at like 3 a.m., very far away from my meals, I would have very intense bloating and uh, belching and it would keep me up for hours of the night. And I tried everything. I tried enzymes. I worked with some experts. I tried different fat sources, different meal timings. I tried it, I tried it all. And the problem is if, if you're eating only carnivore foods and you're limiting your fat to 150 grams a day, that's another 2,500 calories or so that you need to get from protein. Um, that's a lot of protein. That's it, north of 500 grams of protein a day. And that can have negative impacts as well. Um, you know, you have to pee all the time because of all the excess, excess nitrogen, you're very hot. Um, so it's, it's not great. Even though I was getting great results, I felt good. I, I was crushing it in the gym. Um, it, it just, what didn't seem sustainable. And so I got some advice from some experts to experiment with adding some fruit, adding a banana once a day. Um, and so I actually followed the whole 30 diet, they have a reintroduction protocol where the whole 30 diet is, is basically an elimination diet, very similar to paleo. And what they have folks do after the 30 days is you'll take one food, not a food group, but one food and try it for three days, one serving once mm -hmm. a day. Mm -hmm. And you'll note, how does it make you feel? How does it affect your hunger? How does it affect your digestion and, and whatever else? Um, and then you reset to your baseline for a day and then you try the next food and you can add foods if, if they agree with you. So I tried bananas, I tried berries, I tried honey, I tried white rice, I tried Greek yogurt. And gradually I learned which foods I tolerate really well. And some of them, by the way, I was able to tolerate way better than before I did the carnivore diet, which is interesting. Um, maybe coincidental, I don't know. And I found out which foods I didn't tolerate well, like certain cruciferous vegetables, onions. And um, I was able to add in more of those foods and be able to make up more of that calorie gap with carbohydrates and overall feel better doing that. Um, and so now my diet today is basically, you know, the foundation is still healthy animal proteins. Um, and then on top of that, I'll have carbohydrates around that that I tolerate well, mostly fruit. And then what I would call minimally processed, minimal phytonutrient um, grains. So basically for me, that's a lot of white rice flour, which uh, you mix with hot water and it basically makes cream of rice, but without any added um, iron or folate. So it's not enriched. Um, and so you can eat, I can eat a lot of that without any negative impacts on uh, my digestion or anything else. Um, so that's, that's the diet I follow now. And do you find since you've done this whole process and, you know, we're very diligent with what you were intaking, <clears throat> do you ever indulge in just like have some pizza or some pasta or whatever? Yeah, sure. And you feel fine? You feel like it impacts you worse or or less bad or just um, has it impacted? Like, have you noticed anything? I'm there? very, I'm very aware of it and how it affects me. You know, I, I never feel as good if I eat something like that. Um, it always will affect you know, I might have a little bit more gas. I might feel a little bit more, um, just feel less hungry. Actually, mm -hmm. my appetite is like very poor. So if I eat any of that type of stuff, it's like 
it just makes it harder for me to finish my food for the rest of the day. Oh, that's um, interesting. Most people have the opposite effect. They yeah, get uh, yeah. cravings and you know, yeah, hyperactivity know. around their appetite yeah. when they have more junk, like refined junk food and processed food. Yeah. Yeah. No, if I have anything like fatty, it just tanks my appetite. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware of how those foods make me feel. I can tolerate it. You know, I choose to tolerate it a certain amount, which is probably less than once a week. And even then, when I do have it, it's probably less than 10% of my total calories for the day because, you know, I'm eating 5,000 calories a day right now um, to try to slowly gain weight. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think overall, I, I can tolerate those foods to an extent. And I want to come back to the, the weight stuff, but with uh, bloating and some of the, the belching you were having in the middle of the night, what did you ever, what did you ever associate that with? Was it just simply the high protein? Because I have one guy I work with that has the same thing happen when he does long fasts, like multi-day fasts, mm. water fasts. Yeah. And he doesn't follow a carnivore diet, doesn't follow high protein, like ultra high protein, like what you were referring yeah. to. And uh, ultimately eats very healthy. Um, mm. And I've been trying to figure out what the hell's causing that for, for the, so when you said that, yeah. like middle of the night, way away from your food, your last yeah. meal, what would you ever, did you ever come to any conclusions on that? Um, so it definitely wasn't the protein. It was fat because whenever I brought my fat above a certain amount, I would get those symptoms. Um, it's really interesting that he's finding it with fasting because what I attributed it to was my digestion was just being slowed so much by eating so much fat and so much protein that, um, my, my stomach couldn't break down all the food. I didn't have sufficient stomach acid to break down the food. Mm. interesting that someone would have that when they're fasting because obviously you don't have too much food to break down but maybe there's something else with stomach acidity that happens when you fast that i don't know about yeah no it's been it's been something i've been brainstorming so i just thought yeah. i'd ask now yeah. five five thousand calories a day dude that's a lot of that's a lot of energy intake yeah what does your activity level look like are you training a lot um i i work out at the gym five days a week um, I lift weights and then I walk, you know, about 10,000 steps a day with my dog. Okay. So you just have a really high throughput, like really yeah. naturally your basal metabolic rate must be pretty, pretty substantial. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and then, um, coming, coming back to some of the, the meat stuff. So a lot of people that I talk to, um, have been misled with the notion too, that like, uh, you know, it might go more plant heavy because they feel it's better for the environment and they feel like it's, you know, impacting the ecosystem as a whole in a negative way if you're eating too much meat. And yeah. I know that this is really one of the common myths. So I want you to touch on that and like why, yeah. uh, you know, animal protein and ruminants specifically, you know, don't have that effect that people think. Yeah. So ruminants um, have coexisted with the earth in a very healthy balance for uh millennium and you know before we even came to um western civilization the the plains were were flooded with very large hordes of, of ruminants um and the uh um greenhouse gas levels at that time were apparently much lower um and so i i think this notion that ruminants are creating so much greenhouse gas is really a false one. Um, and actually ruminants by, by living on the land, um, and, uh, their natural life cycle, they actually help sequester carbon. 
in the way that they enrich soil. Um, and, and the problem with large scale monocropping, um, which is making a lot of one, one food, whether it's grain or corn or soy, those are kind of the big three that we monocrop um, in the world now, and especially in the US. Those monocropping destroys so topsoil, erodes topsoil. Mm -hmm. And topsoil is the biggest natural carbon sink that we have. Um, so you can think of the ozone as kind of this like tank of air and topsoil is like the filter. It can pull out the carbon and um, it can, it can take out carbon dioxide. And so by, by animals living on the land uh, and fertilizing it, they, they can enrich the topsoil and help sequester the carbon by tilling the land and mass monocropping, you're eroding the topsoil and actually um, destroying the natural sink we have you're, you're making the filter smaller or worse mm -hmm. and so th the thing is that ruminants and, and animals actually help um, help create a, a better environment a better um, cycle of, of recycling those greenhouse gases additionally there's a lot of myths around water consumption of animals um, and, and a lot of those reports, a lot of those calculations have actually had to been been redacted by the organizations that originally put them out um, because they, they were inaccurate. They were including things like rainfall um, in the calculations, which naturally the rain is going to fall either way, whether there's a cow on it or not. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, there, there's kind of this moral idea that you're killing animals by by. Um, eating ruminants or eating other animals, which is really um, hypocritical because life cannot exist without death. Um, there's an excellent book by a, a woman named Lear Keith called The Vegetarian Myth, yeah. where she talks about becoming a progressively stronger and stronger ethical vegan and how she got to the point where she was growing only her own food um, because she couldn't stand to, to have the question of whether um, things were dying for her to eat. And she found out that the only way to, um, you know, grow plants and use soil was using uh, what, what's in the soil that she was using in the fertilizer is ground up uh, bone meal, dead, dead animals. Um, and she describes it much better than I can. But the point is that nothing, nothing can live without some form of death. And when you're you're clearing out these mass plots of land for corn, for soy, for grain, the things that for vegetables, the things that go into your vegan diet, you're killing massive amounts of um, rodents and even small deer and birds, and um, you're destroying their natural habitat. And they also die from um, the the fertile the fertilizer and the the repellents that these farmers use. Um, so there's there's a lot of really great um, literature on this subject. Lear Keith is one great source I'd point people to. Um, Nicolette Han Nyman is another. And then lastly, uh, Dr. Peter Ballerstad um, is really excellent. So if folks are interested in this topic, they can articulate some of these things and bring data to it in a way that I cannot, um, but definitely really interesting. Yeah, I loved the vegetarian myth it's actually a book i read very early on um 
around the time it was initially published, actually, and uh, found it just fascinating and eye-opening and just a very objective outlook on the, the facts surrounding this argument that just gets a ton of just back and forth um, just with the uh, a lot of the people who are very proponents of uh, the vegan diets and just a very plant-based heavy outlook. <clears throat> and they want to kill you if you eat, if you eat a freaking grass-fed cut of steak. It's like, it's crazy, dude. There's so much like diet dogma and uh, people really wear it as like a, a badge of honor to police this stuff and say like, yeah. hey, I'm the moral police. And if you are doing this, you are a terrible human that's trying to destroy the planet that's, you know, doesn't care about other, uh, the well-being of, of other animals and the welfare of other animals. And it's just like, dude, come on here. This is crazy. <laughs> which, yes. which I want to hear your perspective because you've been in this space for a long time, Scott. I'm sure you get a lot of arrows shot at you from, from people in the plant-based community. Why do you think, uh, the vegan diet has become so popular and gained so much attraction over the last, you know, several years, given all these, all this information we're talking about. Like if, if, if someone's listening to this, they're like, dude, if these guys are right, like how are all these films being produced? Why are there more and more people going on a plant-based diet and plant-based agenda? Like what's your, and you can be as down the rabbit hole as you want uh, on your philosophies here or theories, yeah. uh, but I'm curious to hear your perspective. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I'm, I'm sure it's multifaceted. Um, like there are a lot of factors involved. Um, I think you captured some of them. Like there's definitely an element of like virtue signaling, um, like the same reason people will buy a Prius, but won't do other basic things to reduce their, their emissions. Um, they they want to look like they are um, helping the environment and, and kind of flex that in front of other people. I think more than anything, it, it has a lot less to do with the diet itself and more people looking for a sense of meaning in their lives, um, which is, is kind of sad that like they, they need to go to the extreme of like attacking other people and policing other people. Um, but I, I can imagine being a vegan, you feel like you have this very strong purpose um, and this, this strong sense of meaning and this strong mission of like why you're here, what you're doing for others, what you're doing for the planet. You have the community aspect, other people supporting you. You feel enlightened. You feel like you're smarter than other people. You feel like you're also um, enhancing your body. So there's a lot of strong um, gripping reasons to start and then stay in it. And then um, I think, you know, after that, it's just a matter of confirmation bias, people seeking out um, sources and pieces of information that confirm their uh, belief in, in that type of diet. Yeah. And that's the dangerous thing about this is you can get an echo chamber where, you know, someone listening to this, that's been, you know, totally on the other side of the equation can uh, have a hard time listening with an open mind and listening to new perspectives. And I've gone on all sides of the equation. I've tried plant-based for a period of time and I've experimented with all these things. And I also think that could be a therapeutic approach similar to carnivore. I don't think it's the end all be all. I think long-term I've had a lot of vegans come to me for help because their health was falling apart and, you know, bringing high quality animal foods back into their diet, restored uh, their health and resolved a lot of their issues. But Similarly, I don't think a strict carnivore diet is an optimal approach for a lot of people as you evidence, you know, with your own journey. And I've seen the same thing. Like it can be a tool for a certain person at a certain point in their life for certain circumstances. Uh, and I, I like doing kind of a fasting mimicking approach where I'll do, you know, very low protein, low animal foods for a period of time and see great benefit doing it for five days or doing it for a week or two. Um, but then 
kind of coming back to this, you know, balance overall. But when when it comes to to carnivore, um, I want to kind of wrap up on a few uh, questions. Then I want to switch gears to another topic. Sure. Uh, but where do you think people go wrong? Like if, if someone's, you know, seeing some of the people in the carnivore space, yourself and others, and they're like, dude, I want to try this. I like meat. I feel good when I eat meat. Uh, I don't feel good when I eat junk food. And this is just simple. That's the beautiful thing about carnivore is it's just, you don't have to, comp- there's yeah. very little complexity to it. It's just like buy a pound of grass-fed ground beef and cook it in the pan. And like, you're good to go, dude. You don't need all these sauces and toppings and seasonings. It's like, it's, it's as simple as it gets and it's satiating and it's, obviously has a lot of benefits in that sense, but where, where do you think are the major mistakes people need to avoid if they want to try this? Yeah. Good question. I think, um, one thing people make mistake of if they want to try it or if they're doing it for a long time, um, seemingly successfully is they see carnivore as very black or white. Um, you're either strict carnivore or you're not. And we know, um, you know, based on adherence to other things like going to the gym, um, having an all-in or nothing approach um, is rarely something that people can comply with long-term. Um, if you are one of those people, more power to you. If you know that about yourself, that you will be able to adhere much better if you are 100% strict, then good for you. Um, but I would say, you know, try to um, implement Chain, a change you know you can keep sustainably for at least a month or two. Um, so if that means eating a bit more meat at each meal and cutting back on processed foods, that's great. If it means um, you know having two meals a day where you don't have vegetables, um, but one where you do, that's great too. Like take it one step at a time. Um, and I think the power of the carnivore diet is in adding more healthy animal proteins to your diet um, and eliminating processed foods. And if you can focus on those two things, you know, you're not a failure if you can't go strict carnivore um, right from the outset. Yeah. Um, I love that approach. I was actually just talking to this chick at a friend's birthday party over the weekend. And, you know, a lot of my friends know I'm in health and wellness and, you know, they were like, dude, have you heard this chick's doing like, uh, this, she, all she eats is like meat like tell her how bad this is right and i'm like yeah hey, I, I think this is can be good like tell me more like what are you doing and she follows a carnivore uh approach monday through friday like during the work week she finds her energy mental clarity all these benefits of just basically steering clear of any crap and then on the weekend she just eats whatever she wants and she goes back to carnivore diet throughout the week and it's been a great balance for her she's seeing all these benefits and she's feeling great and she's not like feeling super restrictive because if she is out you know at a friend's house or having dinner with with people on the weekend she doesn't feel like oh my god i have to stick in this box and i can't order anything on the menu other than like this you know burger patty and so i think that's a good approach for a lot of people is just finding like some variation now obviously if you're using it for an autoimmune condition or therapeutic purpose that's a different story you're probably not going to see the extent of the full benefits if you're not very diligent and complying very, very closely with, with the principles, but yeah. for people who just want to generally feel better, I'm with you, Scott. I think it's just a matter of like, how can I minimize the, the, the name of the game is how can I minimize the, the, the inflammatory harmful foods in my diet? Like that, those are things we want to get rid of. Right. Yeah. And then whether you do that with intermittent fasting, you do that with more animal proteins, whether you do that with a number of these different factors, you know, that there's a lot of ways to get to that desired outcome, but that's really the the name of the game. And I think the 
The animal protein is a great option because it's filling, it's satiating, it still tastes fantastic. But vast, vast majority of people tolerate it great. And that's going to give you a window where you're just like, hey, how about I have two servings of, of meat or fish or whatever you're having? And that's just by default going to minimize or decrease the quantity of starches or refined carbs or any other type of inflammatory fats that you might otherwise be consuming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was going to say that exact same point around folks with autoimmune conditions. They may very well need to be much stricter um, for it to, to work and for them to have uh, lasting results. Do you have a template or any uh, framework you could steer people to that want to give this a shot? Like, or, or even if it's not yours somewhere that they could go to find like, Hey, what are some sample meals and some sample options of like how to structure yeah. a week and like things of that nature? Yeah. I think there are a lot of great resources online. Um, I would point folks to Dr. Paul Saladino, Dr. Anthony Chaffee, um, Sean Baker and, and Rivero health. Um, those are all great resources. Um, but there's so much out there now about carnivore diet. Um, and, you know, I haven't seen a lot of like crazy bad versions of the carnivore diet. Um, it, it's, it's relatively simple, you know, find some form of meat you enjoy, eat more of it. Um, try not to restrict, especially at first. That's the other thing I would say is if you're starting a carnivore diet, another mistake people make is they say, I'm going to start a carnivore diet and I'm going to start fasting and I'm going to start CrossFit yeah. and I'm going to start <laughs> sleeping three hours a night and yeah. all these things. It's like you're stacking stressors on top of yourself. Um, you want to make it easier, not not harder and harder. Um, that's right. So I would say, you know, if you're starting a carnivore diet and that's a substantial dietary change for you, don't think of it as like, this is a weight loss diet. Think of it as like, I'm going to get used to this way of eating. I'm going to feel better. And then weight loss is going to happen later on. So I wouldn't start the diet with um, trying to restrict your calories at first. Yeah. Sage advice. And then uh, I want to switch gears to talk a little bit about your business. If you're game, uh, obviously you've For got sure. a great podcast, the carnivore cast, I highly recommend people go check that out. Um, how, how's it been growing the podcast? What, yeah, I mean, you started in 2018, you shared that you're yeah. up to like 2 million plus downloads, which is incredible. Someone Thanks. in, you know, attempting to grow up my own podcast and <laughs> seeing good results and good progress. I'm nowhere close to that. So give me an idea of kind of what, what inspired you to start it? Uh, yeah. And then what's been the most kind of important things you've done or things that have really moved the needle with growing your audience and growing the reach? Yeah, absolutely. So um, thanks. Yeah, I don't get a lot of chance to talk about this. So just to um, give the audience some context and you, um, the podcast is very much a part-time thing for me. You know, I have a full-time career. Um, I just do it mostly for fun, and a tiny bit of supplemental income, um, but I really love it. I started in 2018. Um, because my girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, strongly encouraged me to. She knew I was a massive fan of podcasts. I listened to a lot myself, and she said I should start my own. Um, and I always said, oh, all the other guests I would want to interview are on other podcasts. But none of the podcasts out there were specifically focused on carnivore. Um, and so there was no, when you search carnivore in, in Google, in uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, um, no podcasts came up now. I'm sure there are a bunch. Um, and so I was like, I'm, I'm just going to start one called the carnivore cast. And so I, I decided to have three guests on, I would give it a shot. Um, I was a big fan of, uh, Tim Ferriss back then. And he's very much like try things, yeah. pick a minimum investment. And so I said, I would do three episodes 
I contacted my friend who had been doing a long time podcast, which I had listened to forever. Um, and he told me like the minimum I needed to do to just get it out there and record and edit and such. And so I did that. I did three. I really liked it. And then um, what really uh, made me successful and has made it um, work really well initially was I found um, there were like three at the time. Now there are like five large groups of, they now have at least 50 or 100,000 members each of carnivores on Facebook. Um, and so I just started posting my podcast in those groups whenever I released it. And that got me a huge following very quickly. Um, so that was like the biggest um, uptick in my listeners was just finding those groups and posting in them regularly, posting my podcast. Um, and then, you know, I started an Instagram. I started posting on that, share an episode every week. I think the other thing that's worked is I've just been super consistent every single week for two, over 200 weeks now. I've put out an episode, um, usually with uh, like 95%, 99% of them are with a guest. Um, and it's usually a high quality guest of either a doctor or researcher um, or someone who um, has resolved a chronic condition with keto or carnivore diets. Um, and yeah, I just focus, really focused on content. Um, and I think that's helped me be successful. I love it. What's your main career? What do you do like full time? Yeah. So I'm, I work in corporate development. So that's mergers and acquisitions basically for a technology company called Forder, um, which is a fraud prevention company for large e-commerce merchants like Home Depot, Nike, Adidas, eBay. Got it. And is your goal to make the podcast your main business and, and leave your career or are you, do you no. not even have that as a desire? No, 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 no. The podcast for me is like five or so hours a week um, of work. And I, I like to keep it that way. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy connecting with people. I love talking to people during the podcast. I love DMing with um, listeners. Um, but I think, first of all, like the things I would have to do to make it a full-time career, I don't really want to. And I'm just really enjoying it the way it is. Can you elaborate on that? Like, you mean to, to monetize the podcast? You or like, yeah. you don't want to bring on sponsors? You don't want to actually? No, I that? have sponsors now, um, which is um, fairly lucrative. But to make it, um, to really like replace my full-time income in a career I've worked in for almost a decade now um, and been fortunate with, uh, I would need to have a lot more revenue streams. So I would need to, you know, even just having high paying clients wouldn't be enough. I would need to have some sort of mass um, group coaching or subscription-based services with, you know, probably thousands of people. Um, and that's not just, just not something that interests me at this point. That's I have nothing against those services. I think they're fantastic for, for people and um, for people who need them, but there, there are others of those in the carnivore space. Um, and I, I don't really have a strong desire to do that. Got it. Yeah. Uh, that's, it makes sense. And so what, how many, uh, downloads are you getting on average per episode as of, as of now? Um, it's about 10 to 15,000 across, um, the podcast platforms and YouTube. Oh, that's, that's freaking incredible, man. And Thanks. so your, 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 your game plan is just to continue 
on the trajectory you're doing just as a passion project, obviously yep. any supplemental mm-hmm. income is nice and nice yep. to have, but not something yep. that you're looking to pursue on a deeper level. Yeah. I think of it as like my screw up income. Like if something goes wrong yeah, in my life, back up. Like, <laughs> I spend money, I spend money the wrong way. I make a mistake. I bought something I shouldn't have. I waste money on something. I'm like, Oh, that's podcast money. Um, yeah. And that's like very nice to have. I love it. I love it. Scott will do. This has been fantastic, man. Um, where can people go to learn more about you? I know the carnivorecast.com seems to be, or not the, but just carnivorecast.com seems yep. to be your website. And yep. then that's where people can find you on Apple podcasts yeah. or any play. Yeah. Just search choice. carnivorecast on any, um, on Instagram or on YouTube or your favorite um, podcast listening platform and uh, find me there and shoot me a DM. If you have any questions or ever want to talk to me, I'm, I'm very open. I try to respond to everybody. Awesome, man. Well, appreciate you. And uh, I'll be sure to put some links in the show notes for people to find your, your work. And uh, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you found it helpful, please share it along to anyone else you believe it can serve. You can submit your own question to be answered on the show by going to ryankennedyhealth.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review for the show. Your feedback helps to support me on my mission to positively impact as many people as possible with this information. Please note the information depicted in this episode is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine.